Our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station. And if you're a new parent, you want to escort your kid downstairs, we would love for you to do that uh, as we get settled in here. The rest of you can open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Philippians. Uh, we'll be in chapter one today. So if you need help finding that, just uh, we always tell people, turn to the table of contents. And uh, like any good book, there you go. And uh, you'll find your way there. And if, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we would love for you to receive that as, as a gift from us, a gift from Redemption Hills. So uh, by all means, take that with you uh, as a gift from Redemption Hill. Well, uh, I am excited about this Sunday. Uh, I'm excited about every Sunday, but I, I love, I love uh, Vision Sunday. And so uh, if I get a little uh, more excited than usual, uh, basically it's normal, but uh, it just might be a little bit uh, on the kind of farther end of the spectrum uh, today. But um, listen, I want to I begin by uh, reading you a manifesto uh, from a very successful company uh, in our country and see if you can guess which company I'm talking about. Okay, so uh, here we go. They say this, uh, on the walk to work, at the weight room, or in the last mile, somewhere between the first tries and the finish lines, that's where you find fitness. Every moment matters, and every bit makes a big impact, because fitness is the sum of your life. That's the idea we we're built on. The fitness is not just about the gym time, it's all the time. How you spend your day determines when you reach your goals, and seeing your progress helps you see what's possible. Seek it, crave it, live it. You name that company. What, what company are we talking about? Thank you very much. We're talking about Fitbit, people, all right? Now, uh, admittedly, I don't own a Fitbit. Okay, uh, but this one is, if I can get it off here, help me here. Uh, this one's Pastor John Chastings, all right? And a Fitbit is a little activity tracker you place on your wrist, and then it measures your movement, and the goal is to motivate you toward greater health. Now, uh, not only does Pastor Chastain own one of these, all right? I'm not going to steal it from him, give him back to him just a little bit. Um, not only does Pastor Chastain own uh, own one of these, but a number of people in our church own these, and uh, they have actually taken uh, Fitbit and the fitness challenges uh, to a whole nother level, okay? So um, they, have, they have entered into some uh, group challenges, and uh, these group challenges usually end up being dominated uh, by one young lady in our church. Let me introduce you to her. Uh, her name is uh, Vanessa Obey. All right. Now, um, if you were to see this picture on Facebook, you would assume, hey, this is Vanessa and Jesse at their engagement photo. Okay. No, uh, this was a candid shot of Vanessa laughing victoriously after another one of her Fitbit challenge triumphs. Okay. So, uh, so here she is. And uh, what, what makes this particularly exhilarating for her is it was another victory over her arch rival, uh, Mr. William Pope. All right. So uh, you, <laughs> yeah, that's a good picture of you, Will. Um, you think Will is out to dinner with some friends? No, no, no. He's energizing for his next 5,000 steps, all right? So, um, so listen, I, I, uh, I happened to send Vanessa a private message over the weekend uh, that's, that's no longer private, uh, and, uh, and, and I just kind of, you know, I kind of just tossed it out there to get a response. I said, so Vanessa, tell me about how you dominate Will and uh, these Fitbit challenges, and this was her response, ha, ha. I crush him. 
<laughs> I, I love that. When, when I grow up, I want to be like you, Vanessa. All right. So, so, so listen, uh, let's see that picture again here. Yes, this is Vanessa the Crusher uh, Obey. Um, so, so anyway, this, this has been going on for quite some time. And uh, just, just a few months ago, it hit a tipping point, okay, where uh, Will had had enough. And, uh, and so he, uh, he, he took desperate measures to try to topple Vanessa. So, so this is what, the way uh, Will accounts uh, what happened. All right, he says this. Uh, okay, well, I had lost to Vanessa twice before. And I figured out that she starts stepping at 10.30 p.m. after my day is over to beat me by a few steps. I mean, that's brilliant, Vanessa. I mean, that's like, you got to give her props on that. That's awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, this, this definitely pushed Will over the edge. And so he, he continues and he says, when we challenged again, I said to myself, I would not stop stepping. I had 8,000 steps after work. I got home and told Alex, his roommate, uh, that I won't be back until late. Vanessa caught on to what I was doing and it became a race till midnight. All right. He says, I ran five miles at the gym, walked from his home in South Medford all the way to Davis Square, and I guess back, and he did not stop stepping until midnight, and it just so happens uh, he did beat Vanessa by uh, 22 steps, and they both ended the day over 27,000 steps. That's crazy, huh? All right. Um, so, so, so listen, the, the average American steps roughly 5,000 steps a day, all right? So like, you know, Fitbit sets a goal of 10,000 for their users. And, uh, you know, Vanessa, the one that will crush you, uh, she, she eclipses that all the time. And uh, Will, it just so happens, on his day of victory, uh, he, he did well more than that too. Um, but but why, are we, why are we talking about steps? Why would we start Vision Sunday by talking about a Fitbit and steps that we take? Well, well here's a key thought that I want you to think about today, all right? Steps change stories. Steps change stories. This is true in a physical sense, right? I mean, there is more than a few stories you can read online how using a Fitbit has, has really brought physical transformation to a person's body and a person's health. And, listen to this, this is true for us spiritually as well. Steps change stories. When we take God-inspired steps, God will work his transforming story out into our lives. And when God writes stories, listen, these stories are electrifying, they are surprising, and they are beautiful. Even when that beauty sometimes comes, in fact, most of the time comes in the midst of the everyday details of life, and sometimes, as you know, comes through conflict, struggle, and trial. No matter what it is, no matter the steps we take, as we take them for God and with God, he is going to continue writing his good story in our lives. And so here's the dream for the people known as Redemption Hill. That God would continue to write unbelievable stories in each person that comes into our midst. 
Like God is a big God. He's not limited by the size of the crowd. Okay, like story after story after story. He wants to take his pen and write his story into our lives. And so before we get into the heart of our vision, this vision of, of taking steps and our stories changing, I want us to look at a man who took a lot of steps for and with Jesus named Paul as we continue this series in Philippians we're calling Jesus People, all right? So if you have your Bible, uh, feel free to follow along as I read verses 19 through 23 of Philippians chapter 1. Listen to Paul and what he says about some of the steps he took in his life. Remember, Paul's in prison, and so it's shocking for us to read at the end of verse 18, he says, yes, and I will rejoice. Why, Paul? For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. I want to give you two encouragements as we think about Paul's story and as we think about how his story translates into a vision for our lives individually and our lives together as a church. Okay, so the first one is this. Listen, take steps with Jesus for your story to honor Jesus. Paul begins here with a statement of confidence, all right? Even though he's in prison, chained up like a criminal without reason, he's saying, look, I am confident that God is going to work, and he's actually going to work through your prayers to deliver me out of this situation. Now, there seems to be an immediate reference to Paul's confidence that he will, in fact, be released from prison, but I think there's more here in Paul's statement where he's saying, look, Ultimately and finally, even if I'm not delivered from this place, I will receive ultimate deliverance over everything that assails us in this life because Christ has saved me and brought me into his kingdom. So one day when I stand before God, hey, I don't have anything to be ashamed of because Jesus like, gave me what belongs to him and made it mine. And so I'm all good before God. And, and now I can step into that moment with full confidence. This was Paul's desire that that no matter what, right, whether by life or by death, Christ would be honored in his life. And that is what is driving him. So it's like if, if you were just to learn a couple of verses this year, like if you just had like a top 10 list of verses to learn in 2017, I would put Philippians 1, 20, and 21 right at the top of that list, okay? So just like underline them, write them down, okay, like put them on a flashcard, like put them on your mirrors, like you're brushing your teeth, you can see them, okay? Like these are crucial verses. They explain Paul's greatest ambition. The greatest motivation, the greatest passion of Paul's life was to honor Jesus. It was, as some translations say, to exalt Jesus, to glorify Jesus. In other words, it was to to make 
people see, help people see how magnificent Jesus truly is, all right? Like, we don't make Jesus great. He's already great. We just help people see how great he is by the way that we live our lives. And so Paul just kind of further explains in verse 21 in this classic statement, this summary statement of the Christian life where he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, this is like an intensely personal reality for Paul. And if you have stepped into the life of Christ, you know it's intensely personal for you, right? That, that every person has to decide if they're going to step all in with Jesus and follow him with their life. So perhaps today you've come and you're curious about who Jesus is. Hey, that's wonderful. And we would encourage you to continue coming and exploring if, if Jesus is who he said he is and if he's really worth following with your life. Uh, perhaps you're not curious, but you're, you're cautiously optimistic. Like, I've been hearing, I think he might be worth it. I think he really might be the son of God. I think he might have really risen from the dead. And so you're considering taking that next step. But then there are also many who would say, you know what? I have decided. It's, it's true. And God has led me to say with Paul, check this out, living Christ. That's how it reads in the Greek. There's, there's no verb supplied, okay? Like translators just try to smooth it on. They say, living is Christ or to live is Christ. But we could substitute other words in there to, to give the sense of what Paul's saying. Like living equals Christ. Living means Christ. One New Testament scholar summarizes it like this. He says this, life means Christ. Life is summed up in Christ. Life is filled up with, occupied with Christ. In the sense that everything Paul does, trusts, loves, hopes, obeys, preaches, follows, and so on, is inspired by Christ and is done for Christ, Christ and Christ alone gives inspiration, direction, meaning, and purpose to existence. Life is Christ. And so what about you? What about, what about me? Is, is, is Christ your greatest motivation? Is Christ the sum of your life? Is Christ your greatest passion? As some have asked, how would you finish this sentence? For me, living is, and you fill in the blank. Tanner, for me, living is my job. Like, you see how many hours I'm putting in? You know how hard I'm working to make ends meet? Do you, do you know how much I sweat to see the accomplishments rise in my life? Living is, living is work. Living is relationships. About to get married, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, this is a big deal. Living is my kids. Living's making a little more money. No, not a little more money, like a lot more money. That's, that's, that's really, I mean, like, Jesus is good, but this is really what's going to satisfy me. Paul saying, no, no, no. Life is Christ. Life is so much Christ that dying gain. Like dying is gain. And the only way that Paul could say such a surprising and radical statement to first century ears and perhaps the 21st century ears is, is that 
Jesus is better than anything life can give or death can take away. So, so to actually depart this life is a better thing because we get to go and be with Jesus in the most full and intimate sense we can imagine. Living is Christ, dying is gaining, and, and he goes on in verses 22 and 23. We don't want to have time. I wish we did. I, we don't have time to unpack all of this, but, but he gives further explanation of what this is going to look like in his life. He, he, he's, he's throwing out the scenarios, and he says in verse 23, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Let me back up to 22. He says, if I, if I live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. In other words, I'm living for Jesus in such a way that uh, whatever I do is going to, by God's grace, it's going to be a productive, fruitful experience because I'm doing it for Christ for the sake of others. And, and then he says, what shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two because this is why. Because his desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? Because that is far better. A fuller experience of Jesus is always better. Which then just kind of cuts, cuts the logic into life very simply. When you have to choose between Jesus and anything, you just choose Jesus because Jesus is always better. So because Jesus is better, because, if we can say with Paul, Jesus is our life, then we should seek to reflect him comprehensively no matter where we are in life or what we're up to, right? And this happens, okay, this happens for a Christian as someone who follows Jesus, right? So, so if you consider yourself a Christian and you follow Jesus, then, then how this works is this happens increasingly over time. It's one step after another step after another step after another step. And so as pastors, we understand this. And so as, as, as leaders, what we have done is we have developed a strategy that is designed to facilitate people identifying their next step and then taking a next step. And so if you would, uh, pull out this vision card here, and I want you to look at this. I want you to get really, really familiar with this, okay? Especially like if you're here and this is one of your first Sundays, then this is a great Sunday for you to be here because you're going you're gonna to learn what we're all about, all right? If you consider Redemption Hill home, then we want you to not only just kind of like look at this, this Sunday, okay, we want you to memorize this, this thing right here, and we want you to know it inside it out because this is what we're after as a church family, okay? It is our discipleship strategy. What does discipleship mean? It just means someone who is living for Jesus and following Jesus. That's disciple, discipleship, okay? A disciple was a learner, okay? And so a learner is someone who's learning from someone else, and so we are learning from Jesus. We are following Jesus with our lives. And so how we articulate this then is that we want to help all people all right? I mean, I wish I just had about 45 minutes to just go all people because all people is loaded. There's not a person that your eyes would fall on in our city that isn't included in this all people. Okay, that's why we have this awesome picture of Massachusetts in case you missed it, all right, with the cave down here in Boston with these arrows coming out of it because we love our city and we want to see our whole city transformed for the sake of Jesus. And so it's, it's all people becoming what? Mature, okay? increasingly growing in their life, and multiplying followers of Jesus. Okay, so let me just explain this map to you uh, for a couple 
of minutes, all right? First off, you have these little arrows, okay, coming out of the city of Boston, and these represent pathways into the life of Redemption Hill Church. Now, any pathway that someone could, could step into our church, um, there are more than three arrows here. We just, we just picked three because visually it's pleasing to the eye, okay? But, but whether it's like a, a connecting event uh, out in, in the community with throwing a cookout or, you know, your group is going bowling, okay? We call those connecting events. We have uh, community events or serve Medford efforts where we are serving our city through soccer nights in the summer or we are, you know, doing community fun night or we're giving away Thanksgiving meals to families in need or we're doing a, a soup a collection like we are in a couple of weeks on Super Bowl Sunday. Okay, so th- these are all pathways that we can say to people, hey, um, check this out with me. And once they do that, they've entered into the life of our church, even just for a first time. And what we've realized here is that most people's first step is going to be into the Sunday experience, okay? So, so the front door for most people is, okay, if I'm going to check out this church, um, I'm probably going to come on a Sunday. And then we think that's, that's a good thing because on Sundays, people get a real preview of who we are, what we value, and what we want to be about as a church that is following Jesus, okay? Now, it doesn't stop with the Sunday experience. What we want to do is help people take next steps, right? Because if, if the Christian life and if like following God was just happening on Sunday, okay, that would mean it's important for about an hour and a half of your week. And then after that, you can just hit chill mode and nothing else really matters, okay? But that's not the reality if, if life is Jesus, okay? So, um, so what we try to do is encourage people to connect with groups and serve with teams. And so we introduced that idea as well as some other vision pieces and mission of our church at this place called Next. Next is a place to begin and belong at Redemption Hill. So we have this Next luncheon about once a month where people can learn more about the church, they can meet other people, and they can explore Next Steps with Redemption Hill. Everybody tracking with me? Everybody got this? Pretty simple, huh? So Sunday experience, next, connect with groups, serve with teams. And then as people say, you know what, hey, this place is all right. I think I might stick around. Then we want to see people say, you know what, I'm not only all in with Jesus, I'm all in with this people known as Redemption Hill. And so I want to follow, follow this, this, this guy named Jesus with this group of people, and I'm going to enter into what we call covenant membership. It's just saying, hey, I'm all in with Jesus with this group of people, and I want to encourage them as they encourage me. That's what membership is about. And, and, and as we see that happen, this is not the end of the story. Because Jesus is so good, and what we have experienced is so satisfying, we want to bring other people into that. So to multiply both locally and globally is to say the message of Jesus is is so good that we want to bring other people into this. And so it's multiplying new followers of Jesus. It's multiplying leaders in our church. It's multiplying people who are serving uh, on our teams and on teams that will go out and serve our city, both here locally and even globally, because Jesus is that good. What we want to do is help all people become mature and multiplying followers of Jesus Christ. Now, um, 
under all this, there's some things that aren't on the map, okay? We can't put everything that's happening in our church on a 5 by 7 card, but obviously you have administrative systems, you have communication strategy, and you have finances that are undergirding all of this. And so why do we take up an offering every Sunday? Why do we hope that God provides uh, $330,000 in 2017 to push our financial ministry plan forward? It's because we want to see what? All people become mature and multiplying followers of Jesus. That's what we're about as Redemption Hill Church. And so we say, look, not only do I need this, but there are some other people in my life that I care about, and I want to invite them in to the story that I have stepped into. And this is what Paul was about too. If we continue in in verse 24, look look at what he says as he continues. But to remain in the flesh, remember he's saying, look, I can live and it's fruitful labor, I can die, and it, and it means that I'm going to be with Jesus, that's better. But he says, I am convinced that, that to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, check this out, for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, like, if, if I continue living, then I am living on your account. I'm doing what I do for you, for your joy and your progress in the faith. And so Paul's life was not self-centric. It was others-centric. And this should not surprise us at all because if life is Christ and Paul was giving his life to Christ, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks on Super Sunday, we're going to see that Jesus is the pinnacle of the example of what it means to give oneself away for the sake of others. So to follow Jesus is going to lead us to not just be focused on the steps that we need to take, although those are very important, okay, but as we take steps, we're going to want to pull other people in to these steps as well. So, so let me just ask you this, okay? How, how can we, as a church, see this map light up in 2017? How can, how can we see it light up? How can we see a lot of next steps happening within our church and for the sake of our city to come in and take next steps? Well, well, it all starts, listen, with invitation, right? If, if we do not invite people into the story of Jesus through Redemption Hill, or, you know, I mean, we're not, like, we want to be greedy for the things of God, okay? So we always want to see God do his work in people's lives. But honestly, listen, if there is a friend who lives in another part of the city, and there's a good gospel-centered church near them, like, we just care about people connecting to Jesus first and foremost, so, so, so we're inviting people into the story. And so if you flip this card over, what you're going to find is the focus of our 2017 vision. If, if this doesn't happen without invitation happening, then what we want to see as a church is that we would collectively, okay, collectively understanding that steps change stories, stories, okay, we want to collectively, each one of us, take some bold steps. 
And how are we going to do that? Okay, here's the vision. Here's the challenge for this year for every single one of us, myself included. Okay, we want to take, take steps by extending 12 irresistible invites into the story of Jesus through Redemption Hill Church. Now, uh, how's that going to happen? It's each one of us. Each month of the year, okay, like you're thinking, man, I can just knock this out next week. If I just bust out 12, 12 invites, man, I'm good to go, man, I'm, the vision's fulfilled, right? And I was like, no, we want to try to rhythmically pace ourselves where we're consistently building this into the culture of, of our lives, into the culture of our church. It's one personal, meaningful, compelling invite into the life of Redemption Hill. You say, like, so, so what am I inviting them to? Is it only Sunday? I mean, it most certainly can be Sunday, and often it's going to be Sunday, but it doesn't just have to be Sunday. It could be to a Super Bowl party that your group is, is throwing, you know, in a couple of weeks. It could be to a serve effort, effort where we're distributing soup to families in need in just a few weeks. Any meaningful invite into the life of our church is what we're after here. And so think about this. If we collectively get after this together, we would see roughly 2,100 meaningful invites given out over the course of this year. If everyone gets in on this, if everyone plays their part, 2,100 irresistible invites hitting our city this year. Listen, the vast majority of people that get involved with the story of Jesus through a church come because of personal invitation. Does, does that surprise anyone? It's personal invitation. LifeWay Research did a study recently, and they say this. Uh, 63% of Americans say a personal invitation from a friend or neighbor would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. Now you say, like, well, maybe in New England that dips down to below 50. Okay, so what? I mean, like, the odds are not completely stacked against us, right? Like, people, if they are going to respond, they're probably going to respond because it comes through a personal invitation. And so my question here today for us is this, okay? If, if, we, like if we say, okay, I'm in with this, Jesus is life, he's that good, I want to invite other people into this story, okay, here's the question. Will our invitations be ignorable or irresistible? Will our invitations be ignorable or will they be irresistible? And I know like some of you are kind of squirming. You're like, I mean, Tanner, why'd you have to use that word irresistible? Like, because my experience is telling me that invitations can certainly be resisted. And that is most certainly true, okay? <laughs> like, I could tell you story after story of how I have dished out invitations and they have been resisted, okay? And by the way, if, if that's your experience too, then we're all in good company because Jesus extended a lot of invitations that were ultimately resisted and, and did not, they did not follow him, right? It takes the supernatural work of God to make uh, uh, irresistible invitation, truly irresistible, right? Um, but, but, but what we're talking about here, the focus is on how we invite people. So, so, so basically, look, um, some invitations are quite ignorable, right? It's just like, psh, man, like, so what? But, but others are really difficult to say no to. And so what are some qualities of 
irresistible invitation, okay? Number one, I want to give you five qualities or characteristics, okay? Number one, personal invitation. There is power in personal invitation. Like, we, we understand, like, we can all drive past the billboard, okay? Like, we can t- get a flyer, throw it in the trash, or we can scroll pa- past the Facebook ad very easily. Like, impersonal invites are easy to ignore. But if you look a friend in the eye and you share with them how much you care about them, and why you would like them to join you, that, that's, that's a lot more difficult to ignore. It can be an awkward experience when you step into a new place, right? And this is like, this is only ramped up when someone's stepping into a church. And so it's, it's, it's even more awkward when you do that on your own, right? So, so we can eliminate that barrier by bringing friends with us, right? We can walk them through every step. We can raise their comfort level because we're walking with them into this new experience. So I'm so thankful for the great job our First Impressions team does every single week, helping people feel welcomed as they step into a new experience potentially with us on any given Sunday. Now, listen, with this idea of personal invites, I want to say this, okay? There is room. And I, I, to be honest, I do this a lot, okay? First time you meet someone, um, there is still room to give an invitation. You can do that, I think, in a natural way and hopefully a meaningful and compelling way. But we all know that it's through relationship built over time that we're going to see the, the highest and the best response. So it's, 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 only right to invite people into our lives and then invite them to the life of our church. One pastor says this, don't invite people to your church before you invite them to your home. It's pretty good. So we want to make personal invitations. Related to this, we also want to make meaningful invitations. You say, Tanner, what do you mean by this? When we invite people, we want to consider them. This is part of, part of it being personal. Like we, we know what's going on with them. We, we understand who they are. We know uh, what's going on with, in their life and how uh, stepping into the story of Jesus might really speak to them personally. And so consider where your friend is and, and, and tailor your invite to a personal uh, need that they might have. And, and so with this, I'll just say this, go for the easy ask. I mean, if you know your friend is, is open to, to coming on a Sunday, you think they would be open, then go ahead and invite them on a Sunday. But if you know your friend loves football, then invite them to the Super Bowl party, right? Or if you know your friend is just a, has a really kind heart and loves to serve other people, then invite them to contribute to our Super Sunday effort, even if they don't come on that Sunday, or invite them to go and serve with you as we distribute soup to our city. Know what, know what they care about and tailor your invite in a meaningful way that helps them want to connect, all right? Number three, we want to make our invitations compelling. So uh, we can say, you know, like, uh, hey, bro, you know, like, you want to you wanna come to, to, to Redemption Hill? Like, you know, if you, if you don't have anything else going on, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know you got a lot happening. You probably, you probably, you probably have plans, um, you know, uh, you have some really important things. But, you know, if everything else falls through, you know, like, just you can come on. Or we can say, hey, you know what? I would love for you 
to join me this week because this is one of the best investments of my time any given week. Let me tell you some reasons why. There's a big difference there. It's like one's like, hey, you know, like, and one's like, yo, come, come on. Like, like we really believe that Jesus is life and Jesus is better and there's something here for them. Like, if, if we don't believe it, why would, why would they believe it? If we're not compelled by this God-man named Jesus, then why would we expect anyone else to be compelled? And so we need to show people how much we want them to join us. And, and we need to be willing to go to desperate measures, okay, in a, in a very good sense of that kind of phrase, to, to see them come. And so uh, I just was brainstorming this week, and I had this idea, okay? Some of you have, have seen the Waze app. Okay, the, the, the app that you can, uh, you know, pull up on your, your smartphone and it helps you get from point A to point B very effectively. If, if you haven't seen Waze, I would recommend it. It usually gets me there at least a couple minutes faster than some of the other map options. Well, um, Waze has a planned drive option. You know where I'm going with this? So, so what I want you to do is I want you to take your friend's phone, okay, and I want you to plan a drive on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. so that they can come to Redemption Hill Church after you put that invite. You know what I'm saying? Just a little reminder for them. Nobody wants to. I'm just joking, all right? Like, I'm just joking with that. But, but, but thinking outside the box, right? Like, doing, like, if you know your friend, which is most of my friends, probably most of your friends, if you know your friend loves food, anyone like food in here? Just curious. Like, anybody like to eat? All right, this is Boston. We have some of the best restaurants in the country. Um, what would be a great idea is to pick your friend up that's personal and meaningful, eliminating some barriers, and then take them to breakfast, you know what I'm saying, like Ball Square, like don't know the difference with a little mystic coffee, you know, to follow up, or take them to lunch somewhere, okay? That's more compelling. And when I'm talking about taking them, I'm talking about paying for their breakfast or their lunch, which is much more compelling. You say, like, Tanner Man's Vision Sunday, you know, he's just up here, he's just trying to compel people, saying, be compelling. Let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you this. How, how many of us did that last year? I'm just curious. Like, how many, how many of us planned plan that out, cared enough? To, to, to give a personal, meaningful, and compelling, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to put any guilt on us, okay, because you know what, I show up early every Sunday, and that's actually kind of a difficult thing for me to do as a pastor, so much so that our pastors say, you know what, we need to not be on teardown duties every Sunday, which is why we have serve with teams, and we need to free each other up so that after church, we can invite people, and we can take them to lunch after the service, okay, so even as pastors, we see like, hey, we don't always excel at this, and we need to make some modifications in our own lives. I better speed up. Okay, so personal, meaningful, compelling, and also courageous. Listen, I, I know this may be a stretch for, for some of you. You're thinking like 12, man, one a month. Like that's a stretch. And so if, if you this year extending six irresistible invites is big, then you go for six and we will cheer you on every step of the way. Thank you very much, Pastor Reddy. He's hyped about that, all right? I hope you're good for more than six, Pastor Reddy. But, um, if, but if you're good for six, Pastor Reddy's in your corner, you know what I'm saying? And so 
whether it's six or whether you're saying like God has shaped me in such a way that it's not six or 12, it's more like 36 or 42, you know, because this is just who God has made you to be, then by all means, don't let one a month prohibit you from one a week. It's not a competition. This is a collective effort. This is a collective goal that we're moving toward. But what it's going to take is some courage, whether this is your shape or whether it's not your shape, we need some courage to make it happen. We need some God-given confidence in the moment because what's going to happen is when you start praying like, God, make me care more about people and their story and help me to invite them into the story of Jesus, what you're going to find is that God is going to start tapping you on the shoulder and he's going to say, them now. And you're going to be like, man, God, like, why? Like, I think this person's like 50 to 1 odds. Uh, I would rather like 5 to 1 odds. Um, could you like, you know, maybe the next person that I come in? Like, and God's like, no, now. And, and so in that moment, we're going to need some courage. God-given courage to step out in faith. And so with that, we also need the love of Christ. It's the, the love of Christ that compels us to compelling invitation. And, and why is that? It's because we have received the greatest invitation from God himself. God has invited us in through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now because of the invitation that we have received from him, that is the greatest motivator for us to go out and invite others into this story that God is writing in our lives. And so love does not judge, but it reaches out to all people. And love does not relent, but it may be not the sixth time, but like the 16th or the 26th time that we invite someone and we pray for them for weeks, months, and years. And we finally say, we have stories. We, I don't have to, we have stories of people that we've invited for years and years. And then actually some of them at Christmas at the Chevalier, they finally came for the first time, huh? This is how God works. He works through not just courage, but our love, our persistence in seeking people that God desperately loves as well. And so just to help you with this, just to kind of jumpstart us this year as we consider taking these steps toward 12 irresistible invites, what we did is we just said, hey, for the first four months of the year, we want to encourage, these aren't the only four steps, but these are four potential story-changing steps that you can take in your life to become a person of invitation, all right? So, so here are just four stories changing steps. Uh, number one, spend transformational time with God daily. This is where it all starts, right? So, so to, to uh, seek God daily and to spend time with him daily and to be strengthened by God daily, that's going to get us in shape, right? It's going to make us a little more fit and be ready to then live the invitational life. Number two, a great step that we could take is to energize our Sunday experience by serving with the team. So like it's, it's one thing to invite people here, but it's another thing to actually be prepared when they get here. So this is why we have a first impressions team. This is why we have a transformation station team with redemption kids. This is why we have a music team and an AV team because we want to serve God with excellence and we want to serve people who come in here to the best of our ability. And so would you consider using your God-given potential to help us reach our collective God-given potential on Sunday mornings. Anybody, anybody in on that? Anybody ready to like take a step? I hope you are. Then number three, uh, connect with a group for mutual encouragement and community. 
Or serve with a team, like we kind of set the bar, like, hey, could you serve once a month as a starting point? Some serve more than once a month. But, but then connecting with the group, we would say, you know what, why not set a goal of at least three times a month? If you've never been, like, check it out three times, and it was, that's your first step. But, but if you have connected with a group, why not prioritize in such a way, so like, I'm going to do life with these people, and I'm going to, you know, pray for them and encourage them, and, and I want to... Uh, move forward by living in community with other people. And then, and then finally, number four, here's, here's just a goal. Not just to invite people on a Sunday, not just to invite people to a sort of method effort, but to invite someone into the story of Jesus by actually sharing the story of Jesus with them just in everyday conversation. And so would you consider taking some story-changing steps that are going to support and amplify this work of extending an an irresistible invite each month of this year? Listen, today is an invitation to an invitational life. And so can you imagine, listen, can you imagine if 2,100 invites go out from us collectively, and only one in six people decide to show up to to something that's going on with Redemption Hill. Do Do you know how many people that would be meaningfully engaged with us over the course of a year? 420 people. Wow, that's that's a lot. And what if only one in four of them? decided to stick around and keep coming, man, that's 105 new people stepping into the story of Christ because of our collective effort. Like, if that happens, this church and this city will not be the same a year from now. And so I want to lead us into a time of prayer, and I just want to to ask you, if, if steps change stories, will you take this step with us in 2017? That is the invitation to an invitational life. So let's, let's pray together and ask God to help us take these steps. Father, we are so grateful that you have invited us in to your story. And so God, would you help us understand that the sidelines are safe, but the sidelines are lifeless. And that when you invite us into your story, you invite us to be active in the game taking steps for your glory and your fame. And so, Father, would you make our lives invitational lives? Would you help us to believe that you're, if you were powerful enough to speak the stars into existence, that you're powerful enough to fill us with some courage to give some personal, meaningful, compelling invites to the people in our relational networks? And so, God, even now, would you bring people to mind? Our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, people that you love more than we can even imagine or begin to love them ourselves. Father, we pray that you would move us as a church together in lockstep to love our city and to love one another and to see one another make progress in this faith of Jesus and bring others into it. So God, would you do only what you could do? We pray that this vision would be fulfilled and that our church would continue to flourish and thrive and grow by your grace and your grace alone. We pray this in the name of Christ. 
Amen. Listen, uh, we said that it takes some courage to step out. And so we're going to sing an awesome song about getting, getting out of our comfort zone because Jesus reigns in us, and we want the world to know how good he is. But before that, I just want us to take 60 seconds, and here's what we're going to do. If you have a smartphone, I want you to take your phone out, and I want you to think of a friend right now that you can invite to Redemption Hill. All right, and, and I would love for you in the next 60 seconds to go ahead and type out that text message and say, you know what, hey, I'm in church right now and, and God just brought you to my mind. Would that, and that would be true, right? Like we've just been praying for people. And so as God brings a person to your mind, why not right now make one, I would say if you do it when you're at the place, that makes it meaningful. Like you're at a restaurant, it's really good, and you say like, hey, you've got to come to this place. I mean, that, that shows that you're, you care about the person. So, so I would love for you to like not just stare at me right now, but to actually, I'm not playing. Like would you take out your phone? If you don't have a phone, then the ability to send a text message, would you maybe write it on a card and then be prepared to send that out later this week? Like why not go ahead and make the move to take some steps to be about the mission of Jesus and the vision of Redemption Hill Church in 2017. Let's do this together as a church so that God can change our stories and their stories in 2017.